Wine is a mocker, beer is a brawler, and whoever staggers because of them is not wise. Proverbs 21. Welcome back to the Go to Hell podcast. Strong opinions weekly held about Christianity, the church, and beer. I'm your host, Tim Curley, and I'm joined by my co-host, Colton Pierce. Colton, how are you doing? Doing good. Uh, baby's a month old now, so uh, things are going well. Um, uh, my parents are in town from Seattle, so it's good to see them. Water polo season is dying down. Um I'm winning right now in fantasy league, so uh, uh, there's lots of good things that are coming my way right now. So things are going well. How about for yourself, Tim? Uh, pretty good. Same old, same old. It's the Bermuda Triangle of work at work. Uh, I got hockey season, NBA, of course, football. Both levels are going on, and then college basketball starting off, which is a joy because it's. College football, you know, there's a lot of smaller teams. We don't really cover that much. But college basketball, there's just a lot more teams. Like, you don't cover Gonzaga basketball, but you got to cover Gonzaga basketball. You don't really cover St. Mary's basketball, but you got to cover St. Mary's basketball. So, kind of everything's converging at once. So, uh, outside of work, everything's going well. My team is currently losing in fantasy, but we'll win. It will come back when the rest of the... uh, the bulk of my roster plays, so looking forward to that. Knocking off another first first place team in our fantasy league. Uh, so yeah, things are going well. Considering what's going on in the world, we'll get to that in a few minutes. What are we drinking today? Uh, for starters, we're starting off with uh, Abel Baker. Uh, which is a brewery out of uh, Las Vegas, Nevada. Um, we're drinking their Atomic Duck IPA. Tim was in Vegas last weekend working the races, um, as he usually does. I had to uh, take a hiatus um, this go-around um, with the baby and everything. I need to help support my wife at home. Um, but I get to still enjoy their beer because Tim brings it back. So... Um, it's a nice little tasty IPA um, from uh, the Las Vegas area. So if you're ever there, feel free yeah, to definitely on. go there. They got it. I think we talked about it after we came back from the spring. Uh, the food, the uh, adjoined kitchen is phenomenal. The food's still phenomenal. I will attest. First night I had the pastrami burger, which is just a revelation. It's just fantastic. Uh, Three nights in a row at Atomic, at Abel Baker. Um, great little brewery. They had a lot of different beers, and they do a really good job at a lot of them. So I think I had like four or five different ones. So they had a Fest beer that was really good. I think Eric had that one. Um, cold, cold IPA, Pale Ale. They had a... On the board, it just said IPA, and I said, what kind of IPA is that? And the girl said, it's just an IPA, And but I'm looking at it. It was 4.2% alcohol, so I was think I didn't want to, like, instruct the bartender or whatever, the the beer pour, but I was, 
Uh, you guys need to add a little word in front of that IPA called session because <laughs> yeah. that's got to be a session IPA. It was it was delicious as well. So um, anyway, so yeah, we're starting off with that. So and then uh, what are you listening to? Uh, listening to I talked a couple weeks ago about how I had um, gone on Garth Brooks uh, trail um, really um and when I say Garth Brooks, I was listening to Pandora, so it was like a '90s country, uh, '90s '80s, early thousands, and even earlier than that, country music station. Um, but definitely no later um, than probably like 2002 um, when it came to country music on that station. Um, and so then this week, I decided to continue to dive deeper into my country music listening, and so I uh, listened to uh, George Strait all week. Um, so. I, listening to uh one of my favorite albums is the live uh george Strait from at&t stadium uh the cowboy rides oh yeah so uh i just like all the all the country music stars that are featured on that album that do uh that's like peak bart car uh george Strait. george Strait. yeah it's uh it's an awesome phenomenal cool cd and i love listening to it so uh, that's what I've been listening to. How about yourself? I did an indie rock dive this week. I first listened to uh, Wilco and their seminal 2002 album, Yankee Tango Foxtrot. Um, I wouldn't say I'm a big fan of Wilco. I think Wilco is one of those bands that douchey music snobs say they like. It's like one of those, like, I'm into Wilco, and it's supposed to be like, ooh, you're... You're really into cool bands. That's how uh, I feel about Rush, by the way. <laughs> I love Rush. <laughs> um, but and apparently I, I you see, like Wilco. I see, so. I see Wilco <laughs> referenced a lot in Hollywood movies and TV shows. And I, it just seems like it's a, it's like a, uh, what do you call it? Uh, anyway, it's, it's kind of this thing meant to be like, oh, they're into Wilco. They must be really into like serious music. So uh, I'm not a huge Wilco fan. Some of their stuff is amazing, and I could take or leave a lot of their other stuff. Uh, Yankee Tango Foxtrot is a really good album. Uh, and then the other band, which I do really adore, is a more obscure band called Cowboy Junkies. They have an album. Uh, I don't know what year that is. It's technically a compilation album. It's like the the band started in the late 80s. I think this album came out in like 98 or something. So it's like the first decade of their music put on the one CD. It is maybe the best. If, if I had a, if I did a top 100, top 50 albums of all time, this would be on it. The music's just spectacular. It's a really good rock mixed in with some bluegrass and um, that kind of stuff. So I've been listening to that. All right, let's dive into it because this is going to be a long episode. If you hear us groan or cheer, it's not probably the topic we're talking about. We do have four college football games going on at the same time, one of which is my Sooners, and right now they're shitting the bed tied against UCF at half. So, uh, But serious topic today. Uh, if you've been listening to this show for a while, you know most Pretty much all of our episodes are evergreen shows. They're, we're not dealing with um, current events. 
Um, so the topics we're we're dealing with are just you know they're just general topics that are good for any time. This is very much going to be a current events topic. We mentioned on the last show, which actually has not dropped. <laughs> it's still in the editing can, so it'll come out after this. But we referenced the day we recorded was the day of the attack, and I don't. Th I think both of us were wise enough and un too uncomfortable to speak much other than just say uh, prayers of, for what was going on. Yeah. Uh, since then, things have ratcheted up quite a bit. Uh, Israel has made the declaration that they're going to wipe out Hamas, which I don't know how they're going to do since Hamas leadership is in Turkey. Uh, Qatar. Oh, in Qatar. Um, yes, they're living lavishly in Qatar. Um the U.S. is doing what they can to slow down or prevent a Israeli land invasion of Gaza. Uh, there's all kinds of fog of war. We had a alleged hospital bombing that turned out not to be a hospital bombing by Israel. It was actually a rocket, and the rocket blew up a parking lot adjacent to a hospital, and people several hundred people were killed, but it wasn't 500 like was originally reported. Uh, we have U.S. ships being fired upon by uh, is uh, Iranian Houthi rebels in Yemen. Uh, artillery shells have dropped on U.S. bases in Syria, I believe. Iran has said if uh, Israel goes into Gaza, they're going to jump in somehow. It's probably going to be by their Hezbollah-backed. Uh, army in Lebanon joining the fight in northern Israel. Uh, you've got Russia saying that they're sending more military assets to their bases in Syria. So this can really get out of hand quickly, uh, which has led to a lot of people, including uh, what you said, you told me, Colton, is students of yours, you know, bringing up end times things because uh, end times has become, I think, a general kind of, even for non-believers, people are aware of that idea of end of the world, Armageddon and whatnot. So, um, so we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about, well, we're going to talk about a lot of things uh, related to this um, subject. So, your eyes just got really big. Uh, yeah. Uh, we are going to unpack this, uh, um, and yeah, I think there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of questions that are going on in lots of people's minds right now. Um, with your, uh, with your background, um, in, in the faith and, and maybe understanding what what end times mean and that kind of stuff, we have to unpack a lot to be able to get to where our concerns and our worries are right now. I think that you are. I think that if anybody is sitting there and you're worried, and I don't think that you have any right, you don't need to be ashamed of being worried or upset about what's going on um, in Israel and around Israel at this time. It's a it's a tough spot right now um, for uh, the world. 
Um, and so I think that our conversations today are going to be good um, for us uh, to just kind of unpack and really unload on some of these topics and, and how we as Christians are supposed to respond to what's going on. Um, and, you know, are there things that we need to be worried about end time things that we need to be worried about? What stances do we take on some of these topics where it seems like it can be black and white, but is there a lot of gray area? And I think that when we're done with this conversation, you're going to find that there's a lot more gray area out there than what you may necessarily think based off of the scriptures in the Bible. So, um, it's going to be good, uh, a good topic today, but it is going to take a while. So make sure that you're buckled in, um, ready. And again, if you ever have any questions, as we've always encouraged on this show, um, please, by all means, reach out, or if you have comments or anything on what we're discussing today, um, because this is a hot topic today is just an entire hot topic. Exactly. Um, and you have stuff that you want to unload or, or talk with us about, or maybe you want to hear us talk about something that it pertains to this, or you hear something today, and, um, then please, by all means, reach out and talk to us about it. Um, because we can definitely spend a couple episodes on just this topic alone, really, um, because there's going to be a lot of micro topics that can be brought up. So, um, so you and I both agreed we're going to start out by giving, I'm going to blitz through kind of a very general primer on the create the, the creation of the modern state of Israel. Um, as an aside, I think Colton's mentioned it before. I, so I went to UCLA, did not graduate. I decided to leave and become an entrepreneur instead. Um, but I, I, I was there quite a while. I was, I was there. I was a, a year shy of graduating, but, uh, while I was at UCLA, I got a, I was studying for a dual degree in constitutional law and foreign policy. So, um, and also, uh, I'm kind of like a Sheldon Cooper, uh, character from Bang, big bang theory, but for foreign policy, when I was in eighth grade, I was reading foreign affairs magazine. So just a total strange nerd when it comes to foreign policy so i say all that to say when i lay out this history this is something i'm very familiar with i have notes in front of me but these notes were basically cobbled together from stuff that was in my head so i, I have a concise um thing to lay out for everybody um, right less scatterbrained approach. Uh, less scatterbrained <laughs> approach and make sure i get everything in and con as concisely so i'm not meandering all that too long um but just i would argue that if you've been listening all these many episodes and you think we know something about the bible uh, trust me i'm much more authoritative on foreign policy and history than i am than i would say the bible so we want to do this because i in the two weeks since the attack I'm, I have become increasingly frustrated with views on both the right and the left. I would say more so on the left than the right, but both the right and the left about the state of Israel, who's who's got the right to live there and all that. So I want to lay out a history. As I'm laying it out, Do try to do your best, listener, when you're hearing this, to not like read too much into it. Just take these as this is these are the facts. And we'll unpack them later when we get to, you know, what does this mean to be as Christians or, you know, even non-Christians? So if you don't know much about the state of Israel, 
I think this will be very helpful for you. So, uh, State of Israel came about out of the Zionistic movement. You'll sure you've heard Zionist or Zionism lately. Um, so modern Zionism emerged in the mid 19th century. Um, it came about in tandem because of the rise of the nation state at this time, nation states were becoming a thing. Um, it was much less of a concrete idea of the nation state, the nation's modern nation state didn't come about until mid to late 1800s. Um, which is why we've had a lot of these actual problems. Like we're seeing, frankly, Ukraine is part of the same problem. Ukraine is a modern nation state. There was no like longstanding uh, country of Ukraine. It was it, most pretty much all of its history. It's been part of Russia, mm, the right. Russian Empire. So uh, you had these, the rise of the nation state, and then you had wide, uh, widespread national liberation movements also in Europe. At the same time, you had in the late 1800s, oh, no, in the mid 1800s, you had in Russia. 2 million people leaving Russia, 1.5 million of them went to the United States. The rest of them went to Western Europe, Argentina, and Palestine. Um, in response to this uh, persecution and then the long history of persecution, uh, Jew hatred and all that going, not around, uh, going on not only in Europe, but in the Middle East and North Africa, this idea of Jews leaving and trying to settle their own country came about. Uh, in 1896, the Austrian journalist Theodor Herzl published Der Judenstaat, meaning the Jewish state, in which he asserted that the solution to the growing that to the growing anti-Semitism in Europe, which was called by Hitler, didn't in, invent this phrase, the so-called Jewish question. Uh, was to establish a Jewish state in 1897. The World Zionist Organization was founded and the first Zionist Congress proclaimed its aim to establish a home for Jewish people in Palestine secured under public law. Now, note, Palestine was not a country. It was this area. Palestine has never been a country for Arabs. It has always existed as a territory under control under the control of someone uh for a long time it was the romans well the greeks the romans uh before that the babylonians it was basically where syria uh, was that's mentioned in the old testament after the romans it was then part of the oh i think the mongols took it over for a while it was it's always been under the authority of various empires uh so, Foundation of Israel, between 1904 and 1914, about 40,000 Jews settled in the area now known as Israel. Uh, then the mandate for Palestine came about after World War I. It was voted on by the League of Nations, which was the precursor to uh, the United Nations. It was a mandate for the British to administer the territories of Palestine and Transjordan, both of which had been conceded by the Ottoman Empire to the British following the end of World War I. Between 1924 and 1938, another 330,000 Jews immigrated to Palestine. In 1936 to 1939, the Arabs had had enough of it and revolted. 
They were both upset about the Jewish immigration and they were being fed and digesting Nazi propaganda. Right. If that offends you to hear that, I'm sorry. It's a fact. They digested and accepted whole hog Hitler's Nazi propaganda and it's infected them ever since. Uh, the British then form the Peel Commission, which ultimately leads to the White Paper. The White Paper recommends the establishment of an independent Palestine. They were basically sick of managing the place. It had become untenable. They already had their problems in Ireland. They had their problems in they they'd had their problems in Ireland. They had their problems in India. They were done with this place. It was clearly unmanageable. They come up with this White Paper that recommends that within the uh, within ten years. Um, an independent Palestine governed both by Jews and Arabs be established. Then World War II hits. That blows up the white paper and the idea of establishing a state. Um, World War II, during World War II, we see another mass uh, migration of Jews from Europe and Arab countries. They are Ill, quote, they are illegally moving into Palestine. The British had at this point barred all Jewish immigration into Palestine. Uh, because of the uproar it was causing with the, uh, I was going to say local, but that's not quite the, the not native, well, the native uh, uh, Arab population. Right. But they're still coming in. Uh, most of the Jews who are moving in there are siding with the British and helping the British fight uh, the, any Arabs that are fighting along the Nazis and then also fighting uh, the Nazi, the uh, German and Italian armies in Northern Africa and in that area of uh, the Middle East. Uh, however, there's another group of Zionists who then break off. They literally uh, want that a lot of them were uh, desert the, the Polish army. <laughs> there was a free Polish army. I think there was about 300,000 Poles who for some reason the British shipped down to the Middle East to fight in North Africa. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so some of these Poles leave, I think it was about, uh, I don't remember the number, a group of them desert the Polish army and start a Zionistic guerrilla army, which then starts attacking the British authority as well as Arabs. And that's an important, uh, put a pin in that, we're going to get back to that. So there's some interesting things that come out of that. Uh, then after the war, the UN proposes an Air independent Arab state, an independent Jewish state, and an independent city of Jerusalem. Uh, and that independent uh, city of Jerusalem is to be under an international trusteeship system. Uh, it was voted on on in 29th of November, 1947. Resolution 181, generally, General Assembly of the UN adopted it. British, however, don't accept it. They say, no, we don't accept it. It doesn't go anywhere. Uh, the uh, UN doesn't, they vote on it, but they don't put any kind of mandate on it because the UN doesn't have any teeth unless, uh, unless they have an army to help them do it. The, the Zionists love the idea. The Arabs do not. So between 1947 and 1948, Arabs revolt not just in Palestine, but they have the aid of the Egyptians and some other 
they do a full scale result result for uh, two years, um, and they're basically fighting the Jews who had migrated. Then on uh, May 14th, 1948, the last of the British forces leave from Haifa in uh, Israel, what we call modern day Israel. They're, they're done with it. Uh, the Jewish People's Council gathers in tel at the Tel Aviv Museum and proclaim the establishment of a Jewish state to be known as the State of Israel. Immediately following the declaration, both uh, Harry Truman, the United States, and Joseph Stalin, USSR, recognize the new state. The Arab League, which is made up of Transjordan, it wasn't known as Jordan at the time, Syria, Transjordan, Egypt, etc., all refuse to accept the State of Israel. Then between then and now, there's a series of wars. Uh, the three biggest one is the Suez Crisis, the Six-Day War, the Yom Kippur War, all wars where uh, essentially the Arab states attack Israel in one of those, and I should know this, but in one of those, Israel actually does the attacking, but they have uh, intelligence that an attack is coming, so they do a sneak attack, which then, I think that's the Yom Kippur War. No, that's the Six-Day War. Anyway. So technically, they were the aggressor, but they had intelligence that was accurate that uh, an attack was coming. So that's basically where we're at in terms of the establishment of the state of Israel. So keep in mind, the state of Israel, so what, what's the big picture to take there? If you're someone who doesn't understand why there is a state of Israel, why should it exist? It exists because we had, I was going to say two millennium, we had three millennium. <laughs> millennia of <laughs> Jewish persecution, Jews being, uh, they call them uh, uh, persecutions. I think it's, their word for it is pogroms. Uh, persecutions, uh, mass slaughter of them uh, all throughout Europe, all throughout various parts of the world. They're driven out of the Middle East. Uh, they're then driven out of, so um, one, if you're told that Israel is was the creation of Europeans because they were guilty about World War II, that's not that's not not true, but it's also not true. It, Zionism predated. Um, it's not true in that Zionism predated World War II. It predated the Germany the German Holocaust. However, it is of the same problem, which is yes. Jews, wherever they were going, other than the United States, where there is like micro uh, anti-Semitism, but there wasn't a, the United States was never, has never been, it's never been policy in the United States. In fact, from the founding, uh, even in the, the, the founding fathers were, were pro-Jewish. They, there were letters to Jewish people. Anyway, uh, the Zionistic movement came about because wherever the Jews were living, they were being persecuted, eventually driven out. They were sick and tired of it. They wanted a country back and they wanted to go back where the original state of Israel was, which predated any kind of notion of a modern Palestine or an, a modern uh, a quote unquote Arab identity. So that's where the, the modern state of Israel comes about. Yeah. And so, but, and here's actually kind of one of the funny parts about it is you get this. Um, so after you have this kind of situation that we're having right now with 
uh, Israel, and you're seeing that this is a place of strife and an issue. Uh, and what's funny is, again, you're looking at, and if you're sitting there and you're like, okay, why is there so much? Like, we don't get it. This is their territory. This is what they have. Um, remember that, again, it is three different groups of people. It's their holy land, right? Yeah. Like, that's something that you... Um, I think United States Christians, um, we don't necessarily... So we don't... Uh, Westernized civilization... Uh, I well, I would say I can't even say Christians, I guess. I would probably more say like Protestants. Um, we don't necessarily feel a huge attachment to Israel. You may go there for like tourism um, as like a way to see. Um, it's almost kind of more like a museum to Christians, though, right? We believe that our mission and our vision is is the entire world as far as where we've been called out to and that kind of stuff. You can you can hop in and say I'm wrong if you. I am, but you finished and then I'll I'll, I'll add a a caveat to that. Catholics was, uh, that's where I say, um, I think that they have a huge connection to the Vatican um, and that kind of stuff Um, on the south side of Rome. um, There's there's a huge uh, element to that that I think uh, is, but, and when you, we are talking about muslim and uh islamic culture they believe in that pilgrimage um that is a huge that is a something that is required of them in the scriptures um in uh and so that is something that they partake in um and so their holy land is a sacred place to them um it's a place that they want to be a place that they need to go to um on a regular basis um and so that's what they do but it's not necessarily in our christian scriptures uh it requires of us to go to if you're talking about anything there's the temple um and when they say the temple they're not talking about the one in jerusalem don't get me wrong there was the pilgrimage that was happening in uh and that stuff happened in uh in jesus's time but even jesus was like that's not what we're talking about here it's about being in a relationship um, with God and we become the new temple. Um, And so it's not this place where we need to go to be with God, but that's not necessarily how the, what the Muslim religion believes. And it's not what the Jewish religion believes. So those two very much. um, So that's where I was saying the Christians is it's not a part of our belief system that when we go to Israel, we're all of a sudden like closer to God. Um, for, uh, for, um, for Muslims and for Jewish people, it is that way. Um, so you want to chime in now? Yeah. So, yeah. So Colt, you're, you're largely correct. So the second most holiest site in Islam is in Jerusalem. The most holiest site is in Mecca Mecca, in Saudi Arabia. And Muslims are supposed to do a pilgrimage every ten years or something, or once in their life. I think yeah, it's once it's once, once in the lifetime, once in a lifetime to one or both. I definitely to Mecca. I don't know about uh, Jerusalem. Jerusalem. In terms of, uh, and then obviously, 
Um, <laughs> and one interesting note that adds to the tension, the mosque that is in Jerusalem is built where the last Jewish temple was that was destroyed by the Romans, which is, and it's, there's, there's been a movement in Judaism. Well, there's been a movement in Israel. It's been a minority. Oh, let me step back on this point. For those of you who don't, the problem with Israel and a lot of countries around the world is Americans and our media uh, contributes to this and so does our government. Our media describes governments in other countries as right and left as if, as if, as they do here in the United States. And that often leads to confusion where you're told one government is right wing and the other one's left wing in another country. And it like it's com comparable here. It, most countries, they're not the right. Conservatism is not conservative anywhere else but in the United States. State of Israel until 1982 was governed by socialists. I don't I mean, I mean, full on socialists, almost communists. And I don't mean that in a pejorative term. I'm just describing what they were. They were left-wing, left-leaning European Russian intellectuals who believed in socialism. So that government was actually uh, a left-wing government for quite a long time before 1982. Since then, it's gone back and forth, but it's probably been more led by right-wing governments. But again, these shouldn't be seen as like Reagan conservative governments on the right either. So... With that in mind, Israel and Israel has largely been not religious for most of its existence. Again, most of these Jews who moved in were either understandably pissed off about uh, uh, to uh, uh, pissed off at God about the <laughs> about I'm laughing, but they were pissed off at God about the Holocaust. Or all the other persecutions, and by that, by this time, a lot of them were Jewish by identity, but not very religious. That has changed in the last 15, 20 years, and Israel is becoming much, much more religious state, both in state and personally. They're becoming a lot more conservative to orthodox in its religion. Yeah, why that's important? They're increasingly want to build a temple, and again, as I said a couple minutes ago. The problem is they want to build it where the temple was before and where that temple is now. There's the Al-Maqsa, uh, I think it's Al-Maqsa, Mosque, uh, uh, Mosque, Mosque. So that's always a bone of contention. I Protestants, yes, I would say most Protestants have never had much of an affinity. We're not into going to the Holy Land, seeing stuff. My parents actually did. Um, our pastor has. I think it's good for pastors to go, um, partially because it gives you a sense of like, oh, everything's like this close together. <laughs> so when you're reading your Old Testament, it's like, oh, yeah, that's just right over there. This is the hill where David fought. Um, right. I will say the more evangelical you are, the more there's an affinity to Israel. We'll get to that. I think there's, in fact, there's too much an affinity to the nation of Israel. We'll, let's, we'll get to that later. 
And then we have on the other side, of course, the Crusades where the Catholic Church decided to go all in on fighting this series of wars in the Middle East to, the take, to, to take the Holy Land back from, from, from the savage Turks. <laughs> so, uh, and we should do an episode on the Crusades, the Crusades because that's another one where most of most of us it'll be a part of movie night we're gonna watch kingdom of heaven there you go most, <laughs> most people have like a elementary school understanding of it and and it's just an understanding for someone to just like because you now got to pick sides it's just, you, you you go with whatever version of history you want to go in just to be able to say like well the the christians were justified or the muslims were justified we need to do one where it's just like, no, this is what happened. There was savagery on both sides. And so, you know, whatever. Um, so, yeah, th so th definitely the Eastern Orthodox and the Roman Catholic Church. I would probably say the Eastern Orthodox Church, even more so than the Roman Catholic Church, has an affinity for Jerusalem and the Holy Land. But I think both you, of them, both of them for I sure. I think having an affinity is, is still different than... And I mean, like I, and here's my thing is I mainly what I'm getting in is, and we'll talk about it later. I think we do still have an attachment to the Holy Land and and that kind of stuff. I I get that, um, but my thing is, if you are a Protestant and you're listening to this, um, and especially a Westernized Protestant, I'm saying that you, for the most part, if you're sitting there and you're and, and maybe you're like, it's not that big of a deal, blah, blah, blah. I don't think you understand what it means to both of these people groups um, in the way that it means to them. Um, I We just don't – I think that in our, in our culture in the United States, we don't really – I don't think that we get it as much as they do um, because of these – I. I don't know. That's just it's as old as Jacob, as Isaac, Isaac and uh, Ishmael. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we could talk about that a little bit. No, later, well, and I was, I was going to talk about. There's let's this. Do that now. Let's let's. Well, that's where that I was. Now. I was going to go, and I was going to say, okay, so we're so we talk about the nation of Israel. So we talked about its modern day state. Let's talk about its. Let's talk about its creation in the Bible. Let's talk about the creation of the nation of Israel in the Bible. So. um Abraham has his two sons. Um, so if you don't know, uh, Sarah, uh, Sarah laughs at uh, the thought that she's going to have a child. She doesn't think she's actually going to have one. So she gives Abraham a concubine. Uh, she's old. There's a there's an age. If you're not familiar with the story, there's an age, I think, listed in the Bible. It's probably it's not an accurate age. But this is the point of it is she's menopause or some menopausal or above whatever she's at an age where she knows uh, yeah those days have passed right and so she gives him a concubine so that way he can have an heir so he has an heir um through the concubine but that's not who um god planned for her. sarah gets spiteful and baneful towards uh towards this child um and towards the concubine she's jealous she's upset um and so abraham lets the concubine and this heir leave when isaac's born um and saves her from a lot of turmoil and he still prays out to god and says hey i want you to watch over her 
watch over him and watch over this family. Um, and God still blesses um, them. That's also the key thing. Like, I, that's where it's like so difficult. Like there's this whole like blood lineage, you know, kind of stuff. But it's like God still blesses this child. Yeah. You know, um, but what you end up getting from this is you you have the two. Now you have this separation of these two lines um, yeah. where the Jews come from Abraham and, or from Isaac. Um, and then the uh, Jews come from what's the. Ishmael, no, the Arabs come from Ishmael, the Jews come from Isaac. Yeah. And so you have these two lines that come from it and there's a prophecy that they're going to be a war they're always going to be struggle right there's there's, gonna a stri- a there's always going to be the strife um between them now again uh at this point we're talking about uh the if you remember when we talked about before that there's the where there's this prophecy but remember again genesis is written in the nation of babylon um they're and so there's this idea that there's still this strife. Um, Isaac has his sons, or has his son, Jacob. Jacob gets renamed to be Israel. Um, and his sons become the nation. So they become the 12 tribes of Israel. Um, they grow to power. Eventually they go to Egypt, where they spend... Uh, how many years is it? A couple hundred years. Yeah, a couple hundred years in Egypt. Um, and then eventually they uh, are freed from Egypt. <laughs> Very reluctantly from, from Pharaoh's cold, dead hands. <laughs> yeah. And then they go on to this promised land. Now, the hard part about the promised land is if you read the book of Joshua, and even if you read the book, the next book, Judges, Yeah, this is, a, this is an area that they had to... They basically carved out for themselves. Yeah, they come and say, "Move out." They're basically, they're basically, uh, they're they're like American settlers kicking out the Indians. Yeah, exactly. This so, is our land, bitches. So for anybody that's like <laughs> Israel belongs to the Israelites, um, or for the Jews, it's just like, and so it's actually, and so this is where you have a lot of parallelism to our modern day, where it's like we just carved this out, and we're just like, "Yep, there you go." Um, regardless of who was living there already um, and that kind of stuff. And so, but the Jews came through a bloody, bloody history. Most history isn't without blood. Yeah. But you have, and they go and they take this people's land and, and, you know, you talk about David. Um, The reason why David is such a beloved king of Israel is he's the warrior king of David. Um, right? Like that's the whole thing uh, between Saul and him. Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his 10,000s. You know, there, there's something about him being this general that uh, where he has slain all these people that are trying to invade their territory. And why are those people trying to invade their territory? They want their land back. Right. And so it's, it has constantly been that this area has been an area of strife because People believe that that area is theirs and it's being given to them. So then we fast forward to, let's fast forward to Rome. Rome takes over uh, the empire. There are several different factions that don't want Rome. This is their promised land. They don't want the rule. 
their reign, all that kind of stuff. The Christians start to grow um, after the death of Jesus Christ. And then about 100 AD, um, Rome goes in and sacks Jerusalem. They tear down the temple. And actually what ends up happening from that is the great diaspora of the Jews. Right. Um, it is from that moment that the Jews no longer hold the nation of Israel. There's no, like if you read the Bible, Israel is its own nation state and all the Jews live there. Rome comes in and sacks the temple, tears it down, burns it. Everybody flees. Yeah. Um, and so that is no longer a Jewish state. And so two millennium later, well, almost two millennium later, that's when, again, Israel is like, oh, okay, you know, exactly the history lesson that Tim just gave you is all of a sudden, okay, we're going to reestablish this. Yeah. I and, mean, you know. And we're just going to sit there and say, there probably shouldn't be any problems from this, right, everybody? <laughs> yeah, I think that's the problem is, is there's a lack of, Well, I'll save it. Let's let's uh, rather than we'll put a pin on that. Let's do a little more background in history, and then and then get back to what what's to be done about all this. So we're talking about the state of Israel. Uh, I want I want to point out something. Uh, well. Palestinian movement basically comes about with the PLO being formed in the 60s. Uh, they are kicked out. They were in Jordan. They got kicked out of Jordan by the king of Jordan in, uh, what was that, 1970, I think. Uh, they get sent out from there. From then on, the PLO movement is headquartered in Tunisia and other Arab Arab headquarters, but they're not allowed in Jordan. Um, actually, and actually, the Jordanians themselves—I don't remember what year it was—the Jordanians themselves, in, in themselves, so Arab on Arab violence, engage in a slaughter of Palestinian uh, Palestinians in a refugee camp in Jordan because they had it. Uh, if you're familiar with the. Munich massacre at the 1972 Olympics that is done by a group called Black September. Black September is a reference to PLO getting kicked out by the Jordanians is not in reference to something the Jews did. So again, ads, there's just, and I'm sorry for the, for the Arabs. A lot of them are just mad at everybody because a lot of they're just, they're getting particularly if you call yourself a Palestinian, you're being shat on by all sides. So Black September is this group that's angry about them being kicked out of Jordan, but then goes into the Munich Olympics, uh, takes a bunch of Israeli, I think all of the Israeli uh, athletes hostage. Two are killed. The rest of them are killed in an ill-fated, terribly done uh, operation by the Jewish, uh, the German army to rescue them at an airport. If you want more information on that, I and I highly recommend um, 
you do some study of that. There's a phenomenal documentary called Six Days. I think it's six, three days, three days in September. I should know the name. Three days in September, six days in September. I think it's three days in September. I believe it won the Academy Award for Best Documentary. It came out, came out, I think, in the 90s. It goes down. It's a two-hour documentary. It will tell you everything you need to know about uh, the Munich Massacre. So, you know, then there's uh, in the 70s and 80s, if, you, if you're my age, you're fully aware of all these just there's hijackings all going on all the time all around the world where people are taking over airplanes in some instances no one's getting killed in some instances people are getting killed um and it's all being done by this plo movement palestinian liberation movement um that movement dies soon after the plo plo makes a peace deal during the clinton administration with the state of israel Basically, the state of Israel, uh, they both sides make some concessions, but the PLO gets the shaft. Israel gets way more out of the deal than the Palestinians do. This leads to uh, a lot of anger within the Palestinian movement, which then brings out various other uh, new terrorist groups, including... As Hamas, which was dubbed the Islamic Resistance Movement. Now they actually were founded before the the uh, actually they were formed before uh, this treaty, the, this uh, peace agreement with Israel. They were formed in 1987, but they really uh, took advantage of that peace agreement to to, to, to grow. To grow, yeah. So they were formed in 87. Their charters. The, the charter's goal was the eradication of the Jewish state. Now, people have made the point or the claim, I'm not sure if it's true or not, that, that the eradication of the Jewish state has since been removed from their charter. It might have been removed from their charter, but it is still the stated goal of the people running the Hamas to date. Who And if you're not familiar, if you're not sure about this, Hamas is the one who committed the atrocity two weeks ago that's gotten us in this the mess we're currently in so um and then so how did so and who and how did hamas come to power in 1980 in 2006 they uh israel has given the palestinians control of the west bank and gaza these are two territories that are separated basically you can call it west palestine and east palestine if you want gaza's on the coast uh, West Bank's over on the West Bank of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, Hamas wins those elections. They get the majority of the legislative elections. There has not been an election ever since. Fatah, which is basically the, the replacement movement of the PLO, the governing body that is the, of the PLO, is in charge of the West Bank. Hamas is in charge of Gaza. There has not been an election. So when you hear people say the Palestinians chose Hamas to govern them, yes, that's true, but that was in 2006. Yeah. That was a long time ago. I am not allude I am not making that is not to say that they wouldn't vote for him again today. I have no idea. There's been some recent polling that's, that that is I think it was 86% of Palestinians say they support Hamas. I 
in a in a place like in that in a place like that where you're worried about Hamas disappearing you because you speak out against them, who knows if that's true or not? Right. I don't know. So that's how we've got that's how Hamas came to power. And so again, they govern Gaza, Fatah governs the West Bank. Both of them are servile, venile governments who do not give a shit about the Palestinian people. All they care about is eradicating Israel or causing problems to continue to cause problems so that they can continue to maintain control. Um, a lot's been made about how poorly the Palestinians live and how well the Israelis live. That is in large part because of how they're governed by the Palestinians. The Palestinians get low, millions and millions of dollars every year, probably tens if not hundreds of millions of dollars every year from outside people to maintain themselves. All that money goes to their leaders in other countries or weapons and other things not to take care of the uh, Palestinian people. Another thing to note, particularly if you think Israel's this hor horrible, wretched state, they give free water and free electricity to both the West Bank and Gaza. So, yes, there's a blockade. Those people are not allowed into Israel, but they are getting free power and free uh, water off the water and power grids of Israel. All right. Uh, let's see. One. Let's a couple other notes. Um, I mentioned before that in the middle of World War II, there was a breakaway Zionist group that started running amok and fighting the British. And I want to focus on them for a second. And again, let me lay out what they did and don't draw a conclusion until I can tell you why I'm bringing this up. So I'm drawing conclusions already. Sure you are. <laughs> You're very good at drawing. Uh, I'm actually terrible at drawing. So we have <laughs> two individuals, Menachem Begin and Yitzhak Shamir. They were two individuals that broke away and led these guerrillas. Both of those individuals engaged in terrorism against British officials, attacked and wholesale slaughtered Palestinian or Arab towns, wiped them up, just came in and wholesale, wholesale slaughtered people. Uh, I think it was Shamir, not Begin. Shamir uh, instigated the assassination of a Swedish diplomat who is also, I think, a member of the Swedish royal family, who was the UN representative there in Palestine. Both of those individuals were on, were wanted by the British government for acts of terrorism. Both of those individuals wound up being prime ministers of Israel. Then there's a third guy who is also a prime minister and while he was not i'm not what i'm going to detail here is while he was i believe the general either the prime minister or general i should have that anyway under his watch a war civil war broke out in lebanon in the early 1980s israel inserts itself into it, it was a it was a scourge on israel it was terrible they they Brought nothing. It destroyed this the country of Lebanon. Lebanon was known as a beautiful, glorious country. It was kind of like 
well, uh, Beirut was known as the Paris of the Mediterranean. It was a wonderful place. It got absolutely destroyed by a civil war. Israel inserted itself and very callously sided with the quote-unquote Christian Muslims. We should talk about that a little bit, the, this Christian Muslim thing, because that gets a, that causes all kinds of problems, too. Anyway, they side with the, these self-identifying Christian Muslims. So in 1982, this massacre takes place. The, the Israeli government sanctions the Lebanese the, a group called the Lebanese Forces, which was one of the main Christian militias in Lebanon, to go in and clear out a part of Beirut. Yep. The IDF surrounded the air. So the IDF is the Israeli Defense Force. The IDF surrounds this area so that no one can leave this enclave of Beirut. Let's the Christian militia go in. The Christian militia is... Their official orders are to clear out whatever terrorists there are, Palestinian fighters, um, fighters for the PLO. They're supposed to go in there and, and kill them. What do they do? They go in and slaughter everybody. It's just a wholesale slaughter. The, the Israelis know what's going on. Again, this has all been substantiated. There was a... There was a, a detailed investigation that this was about this any the number of killings is still up in the air which is you know even this is 1982 but modern history anywhere between 40 460 to 3500 civilians were were slaughtered yeah murdered in the streets or in their room in their in their apartment buildings and the Israelis sat back, knew what was going on, and they did it and allowed it. They sanctioned it. Okay, so you've got two t two official terrorists and uh, someone who's who's engaged, and, and a third who's engaged in war crimes that are um, Israeli prime ministers. Why are you bringing this up? Are you bringing it up to justify what the Palestinians did? No, I'm not bringing it up to justify what the Palestinians have done or what was done two weeks ago. I'm bringing it up because there's a lot of talk out there about the, if the Palestinians support Hamas, they support terrorism. If, you, if that's true, then you have to be fair about that and then say that the Israelis were fine with terrorism on their side and justifying terrorism on their side 100%. in order to form the state of Israel. And it doesn't matter that, that the Israeli terrorism was in the middle of World War II and 60 years ago. It's still the fact that the Israelis have also, in their history, engaged in terrorism. So before, when when we start throw around these, throwing around this stuff about to hell with the Palestinians. They've got no right. And they're just using excuses to support terrorism. Be careful. Well, Be I, careful. Well, I still think that it's always funny if you do enough research on a lot of people. Some Lots of people were classified as terrorists for long periods of time. And then like, so one of my favorite ones is uh, Nelson Mandela was considered a terrorist. Um, right. You know, uh, a guy who was fighting for just, you know, uh 
African people to have a voice in South Africa. Uh, so if you're sitting there and you're thinking to yourself, man, I'm a big fan of Nelson Mandela. You're a big fan of somebody who was once classified as a terrorist. Um, because yeah, that was, that was part of his, that was part of the deal where it was like, you know, we're going to, uh, we're going to blow up cars. We're going to do, you know, uh, I would say Mandela wasn't involved in that kind of stuff. People around him were, but he, I think he wasn't a agent of peaceful insurrection, much like Gandhi. But, but your point is well taken. The, 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 The Irish state, when they were still occupied by the British, engaged in all kinds of acts of terrorism a lot of most of it was was directed at british military facilities but they also engaged in assassinations uh the the ira in the 60s and the 70s blew up stuff in britain in london that was horrific uh terrorism is not an arab solely an arab thing right so and again if you think if you think that the the um, Palestinians are scum because they're supporting terrorism, well, you you know, so is your Irish compatriot. <laughs> I was like, so was the United States in the eighties and nineties. Like, yeah. I don't know, like, so, ooh, boy, little something, something. Little something something's got quite a punch after that. Uh, so yeah, let's let's do a quick commercial break. <laughs> We're actually going to call this uh, first segment. We're just going to call it uh, the history, the, uh, our history lesson, um, or whatever we're going to call it. But uh, yeah, we're we're currently digging into our second beer, um, a little something something. Uh, it's a smooth and silky wheat IPA because there are no hops used, and a little something something. It's so strange, but it, that's what gives it its unique flavor. Yeah, it's, um, it's delicious. If you haven't had the chance of tasting a little something, something, it's uh, it's got such a, like like Tim said, it's got such a unique flavor. Um, and it's really good. It's It's got that bitter kind of IPA kind of taste to it, but still at the same time, it's not. It's, it's bitter and sweet. Yeah, it's it's a good. I don't think it's sweet. I don't know. Maybe the sweets, the alcohol. I don't think it is. I think the sweets because of the wheat fermentation. But I don't know. I don't know. We should have our friend Nick on at some point and just do a beer episode. If you drink it, it's only seven point five percent, so that it it wouldn't be from the alcohol. alcohol. And if you drink it by itself, one hundred and ten percent, you're thinking to yourself, "This is an IPA." You're like, "This is this is a." tried and true ipa but if you compare it to other ipas you'll be like oh not so much so yeah it tastes similar to like a triple ipa <laughs> that, that comes at like 13 percent um wow oklahoma's just pooping the bed dude no way you guys lose the ucf right now we just need one touchdown this offense is just it's operation pooping pants all day just Actually, it's not Operation Poop and Pants. It's the, op- it's the opposite. They're constipated, and they just they can't get anything done. So, all right. Ha ha, I get it. So, all right. So I think we've laid out a, a, a better, more balanced understanding of the his- how we got here today. The history. The history. The history of <laughs> Israel. Um, do we now want to do... Do do we want to do we want to talk about 
where we go from here, where we think we go from here? Do we want to now do end time? Let's do end times first and then. Do you think end times is better than how we respond or what's currently going on in our country? Well, let's do our, let's do country first. And then maybe by the time we get done with that, we're pooped out and we don't want to do end times. Although I think <laughs> we should do end times because yeah, we need to do end times. Yeah. Listen, I got nothing on the, I, okay. I don't have to be anywhere until five o'clock. So today, so where we're at today, We laid out, Colton and I laid out this history because we're seeing one, we're seeing an, a shocking amount of anti-Semitism. Yeah. We're seeing, actually, just so we're clear, we're, we're seeing lots of anti-Semitism and we're seeing a lot of Islamophobia. We're seeing both. We're seeing both. Before we dive into that, I want to lay this out. Well, it's not before. It's part of this. Um, let me stipulate. For, uh, for my friends on the right and my Jewish friends who might be listening or if you you know, you if you're listening to this podcast and you you listen to other podcasts or you read stuff that are is written by Jews, there, I understand there why those are eight bucks a month on our. Uh... <laughs> I understand why they're pulling their the Ben Shapiro's and the Dennis Prager's and the Eli Lakes of the world are really angry. They're Jewish. They're they're Jewish. Um, Israel is a tiny. It's not a large country. If you. Uh, what's been explained to me is if you know someone in Israel, they probably know someone who was directly affected, meaning they were either murdered or had a family member who was murdered, injured, whatever, in what happened two weeks ago. Uh, which is why for them, this is, I mean, this is, we keep saying this is their 9-11, this is their Pearl Harbor. That doesn't, comp this is the largest, what happened two weeks ago was the largest slaughter of Jews since the Holocaust. And it was much bigger than 9-11 if you take the proportionality of our population to their population. Stipulating all that. If someone is not full-throated supporter of Israel, that does not make them an anti-Semite. Yeah. And I'm hearing a lot of that on the right. If you're not full-throated supporter of Israel, and you're okay with them doing whatever they want to do in response to this. This means that you're morally obtuse, morally bankrupt, or a moral moral monster, and you don't see right and wrong clearly. And you're probably also it's probably because you're a latent anti-Semite. <laughs> that is not true. That said, the shit I'm seeing on college campuses and out of college professors and some members of our government is shocking. And I think it is, I don't think it's, I don't know that it's anti, a lot, most of it's not anti-Semitic. It is historically ignorant. I don't think that they have any notion of this history of the state of Israel like we just laid out for the first hour. Right. But... <laughs> When you're out there, if you're a college kid or you're one of the tens of thousands out in front of 10 Downing Street in London and you're chanting uh, 
from the ocean to the sea or whatever the chant is you're based you are saying you want the state of israel wiped off the face of the earth i'm not comfortable that's just that's not acceptable by the same token i'm not comfortable with the level of discussion being made about the Arab, the Arab situation is much more complicated. Right, always has been. Because I do think there's a there is a unhealthy level of anti, of Jew hatred in the Arab world, and unfortunately, their leaders, <laughs> their leaders feed into this. One thing I didn't mention when we were doing the history primer: it, the state of Israel, the state of Egypt, the state of Jordan. And the other Gulf Arab states who are filthy rich have had plenty of opportunities to step in and help the people of Palestine. And they don't do it. Why? Because they want to use the, the, the people of Palestine for them are a prop to be used to leverage what they want out of other countries around the world, including the United States. Which is one, one reason why I understand some of the frustration by the Palestinians. Yeah. Um, your thoughts. So I think I think right off the bat understanding that yeah it goes there's a lot going on right now. So I think that there's a huge thing in the United States where, as you said before, coming from the right, where if you're not in support of Israel, then you are some sort of anti or latent anti-Semite, which is I'm not going to say it's preposterous. I think people are hurt. Um, from this situation i think that's that's something that we need to acknowledge is that what what is going on is people are hurting um to where you said you know if you know somebody who knows or has family in israel they they have they know somebody who is directly impacted by this attack. yeah and so this is something that's extremely personal and we think back on pearl harbor and we think back on all this kind of stuff um or 9 11 um and i think that there are people in the united states that may even have the history lesson um oh i didn't even see up on the score sorry they may have the history lesson and they know the background of it but still you're even regardless, two weeks ago, what happened on Saturday, you would sit there and you would be like, that's disgusting what happened. Yeah, let's yeah, let's let's deal with that. There's I didn't bring up the terrorism background of Israel in order to justify what Hamas did. What Hamas did was an atrocity. And I don't care if they just gone in and just wholesale like opened up 
like from a movie with a machine gun and gun down a bunch of civilians, that's bad enough. But to wholesale, to go in, slaughter babies, which has been, people tried to debunk. It's it, The debunking's been debunked. It happened. Whether or not they were all decapitated or whatever, babies were selected and killed, hit, shot point blank. There's videos on the internet from dash cams where people are being hunted down like out of a horror movie um, and shot by members of Hamas. There's all kinds of stories that have come out from these uh, kibbutzes, uh, which are uh, Israeli settlements where people are hiding in safe houses, the uh, safe rooms, the the. Hamas members are able to get them open, get the doors open and just drop grenades in. And in some instances, people have survived three or four grenades coming in, going in and run out and then been gunned down. The stuff that was done was if there's a hell you're burning in the, and, and it's, it's what Dante, what Dante envisioned. Right. You're burning in the, in the worst part of hell. Yeah. You're in the lake of fire. There is zero justification for it. And so a lot of what is coming out of those in support of the Palestinians saying, well, you don't understand what they're living under. No, there is no justification for it. That is not a moral position to take. It is, it is, condem- it is to be condemned full stop, period. And now's not the time to say, but you don't understand, but you don't understand, but you don't understand. Well, and here's the thing is, and actually I had this conversation last night with my father where I was like, okay, let's relate. I was like, okay, let's, let's dial it back. Now they're not fully relatable. So you could sit there and say that it's a fallacy if you wish, which is fine. But I want you to dial way back, bring it back to the United States. Um, And I want to talk about the African-American situation in our country and to where for a long time, we've sat there and we've justified, um, you know, uh, they're being oppressed and, and repeatedly over and over and over again. They've tried their peaceable routes and now it's like, okay, all right, we're going to loot. Yeah, we're going to riot. We're going to loot. We're going to riot. We're going to loot. And in the 70s, there was a Black Panther movement and, and other groups around it that were engaged in. You know, people don't know that in the United States we had we had domestic terrorism as well. We had various groups. There was people were getting there were bombs going off in the United States in various um, cities from uh, uh, Puerto Rican liberation groups, black groups, uh, uh, left wing um, environmental groups. So terrorism was a thing in the late seventies. And so, actually, what I'm going to say from this is is the idea and if you thought that i'm not supportive of the african-american community from that comment actually what i'm going to say is i think that what you are seeing is i do believe that the people of gaza are desperate or they were desperate or whatever um and i think that in the same way and again, this could be a fallacy if you want to say that it is. I'm saying that in the same way that there is this idea of where we believe in the African-American community and as an educator, we're, we're taught this or even in the 
Hispanic community were talked about gang affiliation and and siding with the powers um with people that have power in those situations um if you're sitting there and you're like how could they side with hamas and i i still recognize the fact that yeah i think that the people of gaza by themselves feel powerless and so that's what allows for these people to rise to power is that these people promise liberation from these um from and whether you like it or not israel has put has had barricades um on gaza for 10 years now right is it 10 years nine years uh yeah basically very few people are linen from the west bank or gaza um it's it's basically barricaded there's a a sea blockade where israel intercepts they try to intercept all the ships coming in. And the reason is they're scared to death about literally what just happened two weeks ago. They're scared if there's just like an open border, they're going to be, because it's happened before, they're just going to be bombed. And so to your point, <laughs> I heard someone talk about this yesterday on a podcast. Um, they were talking to a Palestinian they knew who I think was in the West Bank. And this Palestinian's first, she was a young Palestinian, a programmer. And he was just sick of the whole thing because he was sitting within like, I, I don't know, 20, 30, 40 miles of Tel Aviv and another town, which has become, which is at this point right now has supplanted Silicon Valley as the most tech savvy place on the planet. And yet he can't go work there because he's being shat on by two sides. Yep. He's being shat on by his own people because they won't just learn to stop fighting. Yep. But he's also being shat on by the Isra the Israelis. If you're someone who supports a two-state solution, I hate to break it to you, the Israelis are not going to ever agree to a two-state solution. Oh, no. If you want a two-state solution, that's understandable. But the Israelis are reluctant because they're they're scared to death. As soon as they do it, then the Palestinians will arm up and then just try to invade them. The one-state solution, which other people promote, is never going to happen. Why? Because the Arabs vastly outnumber the Jews. And if they just come up with one state, right away the Palestinians will vote out the Israelis and will become an Arab state. And that's that. So we're in this standoff situation where no, where the current situation is nothing's going to be done. Right. Status quo is we're not going to do anything. And it, to your point, to getting back to where you're going with this, status quo if you're living in Gaza and the West Bank and you're not militant is, and oh, by the way, there are Christian Palestinians who live in both places. Right. There are evangelical Christians who live Palestinians who live in both places. You're completely hopeless. You're being held hostage by your own people and these other people. Yeah. And and if you speak up about it, you're going to get murdered by your own people. And if they decide to go do what they did 2 weeks ago, you might become collateral damage from Israeli reprisals, which 
in a non-Christian world is completely non-Jesus in our world is completely justifiable. Right. No, I think I think that things are are in a tough spot where again I think that you can sit there and here's actually what my argument is is I think that you can be able to sit there and say that there is a horrible thing that is being done to Israel and I think you can sit there and also say that there is a horrible thing that Israel has done to Gaza. Correct. Um and that's basically my point. Um and actually what I'm getting at here is Well, and again, so we were talking about Hamas just a second ago, or when Tim was giving you kind of some background information on Hamas. Something that we need to recognize in the United States is that Hamas, we recognize as a terrorist organization, but also like uh, Tim and I had talked about before, they are what is considered actually a private military institution. Um, They are privatized military. Um, they receive their funds from people that are not necessarily associated with the government. They could be associated with the government, but they receive their funds from them. They get uh, their money from Iran and other places, other who knows from where, probably right, the, but probably I mean, the like, Gulf states. Right, but what I mean is they they receive their money from people in 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 power elsewhere than correct. They're, they're, not, not, they're a, not taxing and getting that money. Right, they're not they're not taxed income that is now promoting this and so for the so what you're actually dealing with is you're you're dealing with mercenaries um on a on a large scale um you're dealing with large mercenary units and so people are and so when you're sitting there and you may sit and you may say okay so why is it that gaza has to pay the price for this hamas faction to come in and raid um israel because Again, you see Israel's like, hey, if you're in Hamas, get the hell out. Or no, you're not in Hamas. If you're in uh, Gaza, you need, or if you're in North Gaza, you need to get the hell out of there. Yeah. So they're displacing all these people from their homes, all these people from their uh, families and all that kind of stuff. And they're saying, all right, because we're going to, we're going to carpet bomb this area like tomorrow. Um, And again, something that we need to recognize is, oh, well, in the United States, we believe that civilians shouldn't be casualties. We believe in the UN that civilians shouldn't be casualties. Welcome to war. Right. Civilians are the main for the actually the the people that win wars are the people that don't give a shit about civilian casualties. Sometimes that no, that's no, I would say no, that's true. I would that's the, my frustration. And I think that's why I've become frustrated with with war. And why I just don't really support much war anymore, because. I'm glad you brought this up. I didn't have it in my notes, but I was thinking about this earlier in the week. When. We, we, we lionized Churchill and Roosevelt and De Gaulle. <laughs> yeah. And we should, because they were great leaders. But when they said that we're going to win at all costs, they meant it. And that meant doing a lot of morally compromising things. And I'm not just saying like carpet bombing Dresden and firebombing Tokyo. I'm also, I mean, 
knowingly sending U.S., British, Polish, free Polish, free French troops and God, we don't even need to talk about what the Russians did on the Eastern. I mean, right. the Russians won World War II. We didn't, folks. We, we think we did, but the Russians did the bulk of the fighting. In Germany. Um, they, 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 yeah, they, well, they cleaned up more Germans than we did. Yeah, yeah. I'm saying but that. But knowingly it... sending Americans and British and uh, British and Canadians in D-Day when you know they're not coming home. When you're sending in Marines into Peleliu and Guadalcanal and Iwo Jima, that takes a level of fortitude that we don't have anymore. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. But on the one hand, it's not a, it's on the one hand, it's not a good thing because we have our leaders still selling us that we're going to go to war and we're going to win and we're going to do everything we can to win a war. And, you know, George Bush stands up there and says, if you're not with us, you're against us after 9-11 and says, if you're a terrorist, we're going to find you and hunt you down wherever you're at. And then turns out, well, that's not the case if you're in pa Pakistan and you're Osama bin Laden and you go over the border into Pakistan. It's not the case if you're being harbored in Iran. We're not going to find you there. And so we're just going to kind of bumblefuck our way through the Middle East for two for two decades and not win wars and just cause a lot of heartache and anguish. And so that's why I said at the beginning of the podcast that Israel's talking about going in and wiping out Hamas. And my first response is you're just setting yourself up and you're and the people who people both in Israel and the people in the West who support you for a false victory. You're not wiping out Hamas unless you're willing to go to Qatar and send like an assassination team and assassinate them or bomb the hotel they're in. That's not going to happen. And then I get back to partially from my Jesus centric, more, more Jesus centered view that I've adopted in the last couple years, but also my just frustration with these wars that make us feel good that make the primal side of us feel good. Oh, we're getting retribution, but don't solve anything of what is Israel really solving by going in and cleaning out Gaza other than really pissing off another generation or two of young Palestinians. Right. Who are just now pissed the shit off because their parents died or whatever, because the Palestinians, you know, because Hamas told their family they had to stay in the apartment building or the hospital that they're in that's also the headquarters of some military operation that Hamas is running, which, by the way, that is a violation of the Geneva Convention. But, of course, that's an absurd... Every time we... When we tell Israel you're violating the Geneva Convention, Hamas doesn't give a shit about the, is the Geneva Convention what they care about are martyrs and non-martyrs. So right. you put 500 people and tell them, don't you dare leave this building because we've got munitions stored here. And Israel's got to sit there and decide, do we bomb it because we don't want the munitions anymore and kill 500 people or we don't? Hamas is ultimately responsible for that morally. They are ultimately responsible. Yeah. But again, 
is it is it a good thing or a bad thing for someone like Benjamin Netanyahu to have to make that decision? Do I risk killing 500 civilians and then pissing off all of their associated family members and friends who aren't in that building? Or do I do it? I... There's just such, there's such a futility in war that we just don't like talking about, particularly as Americans, because, and I, I look, I, folks, if you're listening to this, when I was a kid, when I was in elementary school, we had all these little like 40 page books from World War II. The only thing I ever read when I was a kid was military books. Fifth grade, sixth grade, well, you know, once it was like, here, go to the school library, read stuff. I read the book Bridge Too Far, which was then turned into a movie. It's like 500 pages in sixth grade. So I, I read everything I could. I was one of those. When when I was in fourth, fifth grade, my friends and I had spring fake Springfield rifles and cam, fake camouflage because you could go to the Army-Navy store back then and basically like outfit yourself with everything they wore, like going back to like, Korean War, Vietnam War era for super cheap. I loved everything about World War II and war history and everything. And I glorified soldiers and everything. And I still re respect the hell out of the military. But the older I get, I just can't stomach it anymore. It doesn't solve anything. You can, I mean... <laughs> Maybe World War I mean arguably World War II World War II did for a while. Yeah, I think there's this but the, I, well go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I still think that there's a, there's a paradox in the idea of war equals peace. There is a paradox. There's this idea that you know, and, and here's the hard part is, right? Okay, Pearl Harbor happens. We're going to war. 9-11 happens. We're going to war. This happens. Hamas attacks. We're going to war. And it's like, it's this, almost like this toxic masculinity thing where it's like somebody slaps you across the face and so the only thing that you can do is go and smack them back. Ten times harder. I wouldn't call it a masculinity problem. It's just a, but yes, it, yes, it's literally the same thing. It's, 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 it's the refusal to turn the other cheek. It's, I've got to stand up for myself and either get revenge or prove I'm the bigger, you know, bigger, meaner, stronger than you are. Right. It's, it's the, it's base morality. But don't get me wrong, it, but, and, if you're a government in those areas, right? Like our, the prime minister of Israel, that's that's your only option to stay in office. No, absolutely. People want blood. Uh, no, absolutely. <laughs> you have to give if them blood for blood. 9-11 like, happens and George Bush stands up and says, you know, turns out we've been shitting on the Arabs for too far too long and we need to reevaluate how we treat the Middle East and Israel, you're going to have to sign a deal with the Palestinians. He, you know, he's getting impeached tomorrow on some some charge, right? Um, so, and he certainly or, or 
you know, or he's just not going to win re-election. But so yeah, I, I get it. But I but on the, by the same token, there's got to be some level of leadership that says we're going to do something about this. But don't also overpromise if you're Netanyahu to say we're going to go in and wipe Hamas when you're not. You're not. No. And if you do, you're just going to create another one. What's even worse? We you know we destroyed Al Qaeda. And what did we get? We got uh, ISIS, ISIS, which was a hundred times, which was so bad that even the Iranians were like, "Fuck these guys! These guys are." We thought we thought we were crazy. They're crazy. <laughs> even the Iranians didn't like them. So, and which is why when I read stuff like in the Old Testament where people like want to throw up in their mouth when they read, you know that. According to the Old Testament, God's told the Israelites, when you if you're going to go to war, then wipe everybody out, wipe out all the men, and take all the the women and children as slaves. I read that and say, yeah, it's a, it's abhorrent. But if you're going to go to war, that's what you do. Yeah, that's essentially what we did to Germany and Japan. If you're going to go to war beat the stuffing out of someone so that they say, yeah, I didn't like the situation before that got us into the war, but what I don't them. want is this. Right, break them. Correct, break them. Yeah, and that's the, but yet. But to do that is so morally repugnant. I mean, in some ways, in some ways, to broaden this out, we've talked about this before, how much, how much more the Western world and the world in general, because even though if you go to the Eastern world and the Southern hemisphere, the world's still much different than it's not Europe and the United States like we think it is, but governments around the world have largely adopted Western viewpoints on how to govern and international relations and that kind of thing. Those are, those are new Testament. The way we view the world is much more, through a New Testament version than we than non-Christians want to believe. Yeah. And so the irony is, is in some ways we can't fight wars because we're constrained by Christian viewpoints that are constraining. Did he score? Yes, no, he's out of bounds. Did. No, he scored that. He they ruled him out of bounds. Sorry. No way. Yeah, he's saying he's saying review because he's he might have. My foot might have been in. No, uh, no, no. He's out of bounds. College standards. Sorry, for, sorry folks. Uh, <laughs> the game's OU's up by eight, but it's it's getting dicey. Um, Christian constraints on how we view humanitarian human rights has almost put <laughs> made it impossible for us to win wars, which I think is why I'm so frustrated by going to war it's like what's the point it's just an exercise in futility to make us feel good and then a bunch of military contractors make a lot of money yes and then i also have to say well let's do let's do the uh Let's do the end times thing now, because I think that gets us now to, to another point that needs to be made. But we need to lay out like what Revelation says and people concerned that this is you know, manifestation of end times and all that kind of stuff. All right. So 
And oh, he didn't score right there. Note, folks, we're doing this cold. I have not read Revel. I did not read Revelation this week. Did you? No. <laughs> and we're not going to read from Revelation. I'm not going to read from Revelation. I'm not going to even give you. I'm going to give you. What is he going to do? What do you think? He's got to go for two. You think so? Yeah. I, I said they I go say, for. I think I they say go they go for one and an onside kick. No, they're going to go for two and they're not going to get it. Oklahoma's going to escape with a really terrible victory. Oh, they are this will be a for. terrible victory, and then we'll look back on it when OU goes undefeated and say that was the turning point of the year where they didn't play well and won at home. And then watch all this go terribly wrong. When... <laughs> yeah, no shot. <laughs> that was the worst two-point conversion I've seen in my life. <laughs> okay, now they're going to go for an onside kick. Okay. Um, I feel like we should read something from Revelation. Oh, what do you want to read from Revelation? Well, just the... No, there's nothing to read from Revelation. No, here's why... Here's here's the reason why there's no conversation to be had about reading from Revelation. If you want to... I mean, this is why things are frustrating and why people... There is an idea out there that Revelation is happening all the time. People believe that Revelation was when the... when. Well, wait, let's back, back up, back up. Lay out what the book of Revelation says in just a very general way. Don't assume everybody's listening knows what it is. What do you mean lay out what it says? Yeah, okay. All right, for what anybody... You, what do you mean, what do I mean what it says? Just, like, give it, like, three three sentence. Three sentence. Three paragraph, whatever. Okay. Actually, the best way to go about this is not actually to outline what it says. <laughs> But I will outline for you. Ooh. Oh my gosh. That was an insane onside kick. That was a great, that's Oklahoma's ball, but that was a, that was a cool onside kick trick play that just happened right now. Replay that please. Cause Oklahoma. That was nasty. Yeah. Look at that. We've never seen a ball kick like that. I know. That was and genius. look, yeah, yeah, no, that was <laughs> that was a really good number three. Thought he had it, and then all of a sudden, I was like, "Where did the ball go?" Yeah, that was a good one. And look at that spin, everything. Oh man, I've that... never seen a ball. I didn't even know a ball could be kicked like that. Uh, if you're listening to this, basically, they kicked the ball. If you're a football fan, it spun. It spun the entire way on its, it never, the point of the ball never touched the ground. It just spun like a top, but a top like spinning on its long, the long width of the, the ball. It just, it was very bizarre. The fact that it never at all, and it just hugged the, it just stayed on the ground the entire time. It never like bounced or anything. Okay. All right. So sorry. Um, okay. So when we're talking about Revelation. Um, Revelation is it, there is a 200 and I think I've disclosed this on the, the show before there are 200 years 
um of time where there is a genre maybe close to like 300 years um there is a genre known as apocalyptic um and so you hear that word and you automatically think well it's talking about end times um no the genre is (laughs) there's symbolism there's these huge crazy monsters that are involved all this kind of stuff um and and understanding that genre is crucial to being able to know that this is this is what revelation is it's not necessarily saying that um you know there's a lot of symbolism but it's actually talking about things that are happening at the moment not things that are about to happen in the future um and so with the case of revelation a lot of people think that it's talking about the future and what's to come but actually what it's talking about is the sacking of or the or nero and his reign over the christians um while he's in charge in rome right um and the persecution that they are experiencing so it's the last book of the bible uh it was a controversial book to be put in the bible there was it was ultimately put in, but there was a lot of people at the council that was determining what the books of the Bible, official Bible, was going to be. Uh, there was a lot of people who did not think it should be in there. Martin Luther himself was one uh, of many prominent church leaders over the last two millennia who thought it shouldn't be in the Bible. Uh, again, that's not to say that it's a heretical by, uh, book. There's a lot of uh, letters, quote, quote, unquote, let, well, actual letters but we would call them books they were not included for a variety of reasons but so it would be something like you can read it but it shouldn't be in there um because it's just so hard to understand um and what's the reason why the book is important to bring up is there's a recent movement it started with John Darby a couple hundred years ago, the dispensationalist movement. But before John Darby, it was pretty much just the book of Revelation was believed to be what Colton laid out. Like, this is just this book. It was talking about things that were going out at the time. John Darby comes along and basically reimagines the book. And then it takes over, slowly takes over Christianity. This view becomes very popular in the 70s through the 80s and 90s and up until today in evangelical circles of dispensationalism, which means this book is some prediction of this last actual stand end of times where um, it's predicting these literal things where there's an antichrist, uh, Satan returns, um, there's this ultimate battle where Jesus comes, he... um, then there's a whole argument like, do the Christians get zapped and avoid these these in, these bad years of the end times? And anyway, uh, where there's this ultimate battle in the Middle East, the state of Israel has been recreated at this point, and this there's this ultimate battle. Uh, Jesus conquers his foes, and 
then there's a thousand was it a thousand years thousand yeah. year reign and even at the end of the thousand year reign even though jesus is literally sitting on the throne and governing there are still people at the end of this thousand year reign who are like screw you jesus we still don't like you and then they're ultimately sent to hell yes this idea and uh, mind you this kind of apocalyptic mindset is not uh exclusive to christianity islam there's a strain of islam the shiite version of is well it's not she it, there's a sub strain of shiite belief there's two two main strains of islam there's sunni and there is shiite uh if you're putting this in government perspectives, the Gulf states are Sunni. Uh, I think Iran is Shiite. Iran is Shiite. Iraq is split between Iran and Shiite. There's also other countries that are split between Iran, uh, Sunni and Shiite. The Shiite is much more is much more militant of the two. Yes. And there is a strain of the Shiite belief which the majority of the ruling council of Iran believes in, which says, much like Revelation, that there's going to be these, this end-time thing that brings back either Allah himself or, or Muhammad himself or some kind of similar thing. Mind you, Islam comes around much late, a couple hundred years after Jesus. So this it should be viewed, I think, properly as kind of mimicking the book of revelation in a way. So, but anyway, this apocalyptic view is, um, is not uncommon in Christianity. There's even a particular leader in Iran who's thought to be like, much like many Christians trying to do whatever they can to bring about this end time, because they think somehow this is what God wants them to do, which is, I've always seen strange because the book of revelation makes it clear. And Jesus himself says, you don't know, you won't know when this, when this is going to happen. It's in my time, not your time, but yet there's a strain of Christians who are like, yeah, we need to bring about this in time. So, uh, so much so this has taken over, uh, parts of Christianity. I am, in, I have in front of me why my mom had this book, but I just found this book. I think she had it, probably had it cause she had to read it when she was at Fuller Seminary. This book is from 19, I think I looked it up, it was 78. 1978. Christians will go through the tribulation. So it is art. So the, the tribulation is uh, the time where the world basically turns into a hellhole. And there's one part of, of dispensationalism that says there's this moment that's described in Revelation where all the Christians are sucked up and just disappear into the sky and they don't have to face tribulation. And now it's all the bad people, the non-Christians. The rapture. The rapture. Following along. All the bad people stay and they've got to suffer through this. And then there's another side that says, nope, Christians are going to have to survive it too. So anyway, this is 320 page, 29 pages of what Christians are going to have to do. I kid you not. This book is like a prepper book for Christians. It's got. It's literally like. It's literally like you need to get a, a generator 
You need to store food. There's a chapter on how do you buy and sell in a post oh post Christian economy. Oh my goodness, no way. This book is awesome on crazy. It's amazing. Like how to build your house into a hill so that it's it's so that it it, it will survive a nuclear blast. It has a table in here. I don't know how the hell the, the government allowed this thing. It has tables on where the largest populations are, and it shows where all like the nuclear uh, uh, facilities are, and so that their target there will be a target if there's a nuclear exchange. Because if if you're a dispensationalist in the '70s and '80s, it was assumed that there was going to be nuclear war between the United States and the Soviet Union, right, and that right, was right. going to bring out the end times. Nine Eleven comes around. And it was, oh, this is going to bring out the end times. There's going to be this great war between the West and the Arab uh, terrorist-supporting world, and it's going to bring out the end times. And then now we have right now uh, what's going on where Israel's going to move in. And like I laid out at the beginning, Iran's talking about joining in if Israel goes too far, and Russia and the United States has got two aircraft carriers sitting in the Mediterranean and everyone's now freaking out. Here it is. It's going to be the end times. It's going to be the final battle between the, the Jews and the Christians and the Arabs. But yes, I kid you not. This, this book is amazing. It is amazing. Preparing to sell, preparing to not buy or sell. There's a uh, chapter in the book. The Holy Spirit and His Gifts, Chapter 14. Preparing for Supernatural Warfare, Chapter 15. Uh, if you want a good book, an actual helpful book, this book is by Eugene Peterson. I've blitzed through it quickly. I want to reread it. I blitzed through it quickly because I only have so much patience for Book of Revelation, but if you, this book is 1990. If you want a, I think, healthy view of Revelation, it's called Reversed Thunder, the Revelation of John and the Praying Imagination. This book speaks to Colton's, the, the, the view that Colton laid out, which I believe is also the proper view, which is this book is not prophetic about something that's going to happen two, three, five, ten thousand years in the future. It is a book, it is mainly, it is, First and foremost, a book pointing to Jesus and yes. and what he does. Whether you are in a trying time or not, Jesus is the center. If it seems like the evil forces are winning, Jesus will ultimately win. That's the point of the book of Revelation, and that's what Eugene Peterson lays out very nicely in this really quick quick read called Reversed Thunder. Uh Yeah, I think that mainly what I'm getting at is here is when we talk about the end times, there's very similar to what Tim was talking about. There's this idea that, you know, that they could always be happening. If you believe that the end times are happening, you're going to and you view Revelation as the as the 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 roadmap for that, you're going to always find a roadmap for that. Um, to where again he brought up the Cold War and and that's that's a true 
thing where it was like, okay, the symbolism, it means this and, and it, and this could mean this and, and that could mean that. And that causes problems um, later on when you really understand that, no, that's not actually what this genre is talking about at all. And so we get issues when we have these wars and that kind of stuff where it's like, um, you know, this new nation and Tim talked about, you know, they wanted to build this new temple and right. There's speculations about when the temple is rebuilt, then there's something um, that will, you know, then Jesus will be back. Um, but what does that mean? And really, we're talking about rebuilding the temple within us and Jesus is back with us. That's really the the premise behind it. Um, and so we want that to be um, at the forefront of everybody's mind is that this really isn't something that even though for years and years, you may be sitting there and you may be scared even of this document um, that is revelation uh, or intimidated by it volunteer scored i know Damn, that was quite a catch um it was but oh that's quite well and i think they're reviewing it i see one foot drag i, I don't know i think he's only got one foot in well that's all he needs in but college again, he had in, one foot in college is that all it is now yes it's, it's always been one foot in college i thought it was i thought it was two feet in the nfl and one foot in college yeah, one foot in college. Oh no, I I sorry, I thought it was two feet in college and one foot in the NFL. No, 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 it's the other way around. Oh, okay. <sighs> Soccer fans. Well, and I think his knee even came down there on the inside of the field goal, or on the inside of the end zone. Uh, yeah. So that's just my speculation on that to begin with. And the other guy had his guy too. Anyways. Uh, we're on to our third beer. Wow. Our oak-aged lager for Oaktoberfest from Firestone. I think I've had this Brewing before, Company. but I don't remember what it's like. I have not had this before. Let's see if it's any good. Coming in at 5.2. I'm sure it's nutty is my guess. Well, I'm sure. It was... So beer number one, which was a pint, was 7%. Then we had 72. Are you feeling cozy? Is that what you're trying to tell us? A little cozy. Probably should have had more than a bagel for breakfast. I haven't had anything for breakfast. And... Well, that's a bold strategy there, Cotton. <laughs> <laughs> See how that works out for you. <laughs> Colton's going to be Ubering home. Uh, Tim's. Oh, that's actually really tasty. I enjoy that. Well, let me dabble. That's actually, wow. Yeah, it's really good. It's a good Oktoberfest beer. That's actually very balanced. I was, I would like you. I was expecting like too much nut or something, which I think is the. I think was that the Sierra Nevada, and that's why I didn't like it. Maybe no. I haven't had the Sierra Nevada. You said you the had Sierra Nevada. I think lacked flavor was my problem, but some of them. There was one you and I had that we both enjoyed, but was very nutty. But I'm I'm fine with the nutty. Flavor. Uh, that was the weren't we the, both having uh what it starts with an M, uh ma. Oh yeah, uh, shoot. 
what's the german style that starts with an m the marzen the marzen we were both having marzens and we had one from california and we had one from germany and we liked the one from california better because it was morgan valley was it morgan valley Morgan? Yeah, Morgan Valley's Marzen, and then it was yeah. It was then we had the German one. one the German was like, eh, it's fine, but the Morgan Valley one was better. And, and for actually, our for our palate, for our palate, for our palate, for our palate. Um, and so like the wow, this is really good. I'm surprised. The other one was just it was really nutty flavoring, um, and not like nutty like crazy, but like. <laughs> hmm. Okay, so. Let's bring this full circle. Yeah. Where, where, where are you at? Just like personally, like what, what, what's your view of what's going on? Just like, just whatever. My view currently, and I'm going to be blatantly honest, um, because again, I've had two beers and no breakfast. <laughs> my that's view, all it takes. <laughs> my view is. I think a wrong was done to Israel, and I think what Israel is doing right now is wrong. I think that I think that people are sitting there and they are thinking, uh, I don't believe that two wrongs make a right um, to where a wrong has been done to them. And then their answer, I don't think the way that they've gone about their answering they're not even <laughs> yeah i i think there have been too many civilian lives lost in hamas or in in gaza and even if you're sitting there and you're saying hamas is you know doing what they're doing and and all that kind of stuff i i i get that i don't know if there's a better way but I'm saying that currently at this moment in time, in my opinion on what's going on is, is there's a lot of, a lot of bloodshed right now. And I don't think it's going to stop anytime soon. How about you? I largely agree. I, I agree. I'll just add to it. Again, if this was 2000, 2001, 2008 even, I my sensibility would have been go in and... Light the fuck out yeah, of Gaza. Light, light them up. Yeah. And to which I would agree. And if you're listening to this and you still agree with that, that's still your, your idea, I... Look, I get it. I get it. But where I'm at with my view of what Jesus calls us to be and, you know, <laughs> we Christians want to, we want to frame our persecution as perse per persecution for the things that we're standing up for that we 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 like being persecuted for the easy things like we want to be persecuted because we think gay marriage is wrong so yeah the bible says we're going to be persecuted and, and 
we're going to be persecuted because we want prayer in school and so we're going to get yes so it all these the easy things which i like prayer in school i could give two shits about but we like to frame the persecution on the really low-hanging fruit stuff that's easy to get persecuted over and we don't really have to challenge our worldview and as i stated a couple minutes you know 20 minutes ago my the worldview of my existence for 80 percent 90 percent of my life has been war sucks but war is a necessary thing and i'm now at the point where it's i'm having to die to myself and say i don't think that's i don't think that view anymore you said a little while earlier that you know if you're net not net yahoo that's suicide and i agree with that and so i i'm gonna beat on the same horse that i've be, beat the same drum beat the same horse into the ground that i've said on the ukraine thing i think Christians need to stand up and say, where's the, where's the peace? Where do we find peace? And I don't hear that. I hear partially because the Christian community seems pretty much divided into the Palestinian pro-Palestine camp or the pro-Israel camp. So, you know, and let me stop for a second because I wanted to bring this up and I didn't. And then I'll get back to this point. This moment has brought out a thing that really is, has it's been bothering me for a while, but this bring this has brought it to a head. We have this stilted view of right and wrong. I want to say in this country, I think it's probably always been a thing. It goes back to David and Goliath where the little guy is always the aggrieved oppressed power and therefore they're good <laughs> if you want to put it into modern terms it's star wars yes. the rebels are the good guys and in fact one of my favorite articles of all time was uh this guy sunny bunch i think in reason magazine wrote an article <laughs> that really lit up the entire internet for quite a while and it's still an infamous article amongst those who know it that basically said the empire are actually the good guys actually just so we're clear if we're going to talk about uh uh star wars for just a second i've yet to see serious evidence of the empire like you know like there's no i think actually in what what movie is it the one that everybody hated what's the middle of the last three I don't, yeah i don't i can't remember the name is it the last jedi uh, th yeah, that, that might be it. That one actually showed like you know turmoil. Yeah. So if you watch, the <laughs> if you're watching the shows that are on Disney right now, like Andor and the other ones, they're like going out of their way to show like what atrocities the Empire were. Right, created. but like as far as but the movies go, the first <laughs> six movies, it's like, and that was the point of his of his. Yes, was there like, we are, there we are. So we're following these Jedi who just like decide morality on the on their whim and then they become even more problematic with the pre the three prequels like these jedi just decide whoever the hell they're gonna side with based right, on whatever these they monks wanted. these monks these all monks of a sudden just like yeah fuck the government now we're gonna we're gonna back the other guy these but, warrior <laughs> monks decided like okay well <laughs> so anyway 
I think a lot of the pro-Palestinian movement is they're the oppressed, the the Israelis are the oppressors, and therefore they are de facto the good guys without any, just it's just like paint-by-number morality. And this isn't the only instance where this happens. No. I I would argue that happens in Ukraine as well, because if you actually dig into the Ukrainian government, there's not much... I, I, you know, we our government keeps saying the West keeps saying, oh, this is a pro democracy bullshit. That the Ukrainian government is as corrupt as it comes. It's always been that way since it's become a country. So stop selling me bullshit. But we have this stilted morality of good versus bad. So to go back to what I, where I was going, I think there's Christians who feel like the Palestinians are being oppressed, and so I've got a, a side with them or I've got a side with Israel because Israel is the modern manifestation of what was promised in the Old Testament. Of, you know, this is God's chosen people, and now it's they have their land back, and eventually, you know, Israel is going to be seen in the end times and in the book of Revelation, all that kind of stuff. Put all that stuff aside. I don't think Israel is the modern man- manifestation of the promise made to Abraham um, we need to be looking at this as what Jesus said which is we need to be looking for peace and I would be much more comfortable if there was just so that's my uh, I, I I pray for peace. I think Christians should be praying for peace. Um, if you're going to dare go on Twitter or whatever social media platform and deign say anything as complicated as this conflict, just say, I'm not picking a side or, you know, I understand these Israelis being upset, but we need to pray for peace. And if someone's going to criticize you for praying for peace, that's on them. Yeah. They could go to hell. I would be much more comfortable in the situation if uh, Netanyahu, and let me stop right there. Generally, Israeli governments are led by a prime minister. This government, which is, it's kind of ironic this is happening now. This is not a, this is a unity government, uh, which doesn't make sense to most Americans because we don't have a parliamentary government. Most Democrat, quote unquote, well, most democratic governments around the world are parliamentary systems. They're like British systems. So you have a party that's voted in power, and then that party elects a prime minister. That prime minister runs the government. The current situation is in Israel is basically Netanyahu. No one got a majority. He got a very narrow plurality. There are actually three people running the Israeli government right now. It is like literally a Roman triumvirate. And uh, so anyway... If that if the Israeli government was saying we need to go in and clear out Hamas, but we also the the status quo is not working, we've got to figure out how to get out of the status quo. I would I would feel much more comfortable about the situation. But as it stands, that we're just gonna go in and we're gonna quote unquote wipe out Hamas, which you're not. You're lying to yourself and the Israeli people. 
and everybody who supports you, you're not going to wipe out Hamas. Then it's just violence beginning more violence. And I don't have much of a tolerance for that anymore. So... <laughs> I think that when it comes to, and it, yeah, I I agree. I don't really have. But when, let me stop. When I say tolerance, I don't mean like I'm intolerant to it. I mean like literally the word like I'm I having a hard time. I can't. Digest, st- I'm I can't having stomach a hard time it anymore. Di- yeah, yeah. Di- dash, di- di- it doesn't mean like they're dead to me. Like we like, oh, you're an evil person. It's just like that. That just doesn't work for me anymore. Yeah, I think what's what's tough right now is and especially with this whole situation is i uh, there's people in the united states that are extremely divided and what's really frustrating in my opinion is yes i understand the whole idea israel was hurt but wanting blood for blood is as far as our reaction should be is not acceptable. I think our idea should be, what can we do to help those people? What can we do to start the healing process um, in Israel and that kind of stuff? Instead, people here are, we want blood. It's the George Bush thing. You're either with us or against us. So you're either with the Palestinians or, or not, or you're with the Israelis or you're not. And if, you're on the other side of whatever side you want, then you're dead to me. And and you're morally abhorrent. And again, it's not condoning the act. No. It's I'm not sitting there trying to condone the act, but I'm more uh I'm more focused on healing than I am about getting vengeance. Correct. And so when you sit there and say that there's something going on in wherever in our world, even in the United States, if you're sitting there and, and you're looking for vengeance, I'm not here to help you with that. I'm not. The, I'm laughing because this takes me back to our discussion we had, I don't know, probably like 15, 20 ep- episodes ago where we, you and I you and I posited that it's impossible for actual like Jesus follower to be a, the president of the United States or a world yeah. leader. Because I'm sorry. Look, I, I've said it. I'm going to say it again before I say what I'm going to say. If you support Israel and you're all in on the military thing, I'm not saying you're not a Christian, but where Colton and I are, are at our with our faith, our flavor of Christianity is someone standing up and saying, we need to turn the other cheek. This is an abhorrent act by abhorrent people. And they're ultimately gonna, I, <laughs> they're ultimately gonna get justice either here or, or later, and I guess that's the problem. If you don't view there, there's an afterlife. It's like, well, when did these people get justice? But that's for another topic for another discussion. But if you and I said that, we'd get run out of town, right? And I. I understand I get why we'd get run out of town. But again, my frustration is I don't hear anyone saying that. Where's the 
Well, I haven't heard. Maybe the Pope has said something. I haven't heard it. Where Where is someone of stature? We have no, there's no person of stature in the Christian community who can stand up and say, Mr. Prime Minister, uh, Mr. President, although this isn't really a political podcast, but Joe Biden's boy, fucking moron. Like he, he keeps talking on two sides of his mouth, but whatever. Mr. President, this is what your maker calls you to do. How can we find that a way to that path? Which is again, why if Netanyahu was saying, we're going to go in, we're going to find the people who perpetrated this, we're going to get justice now. While at the same time, I'm calling on responsible people of res responsible Palestinian leaders. How can we get our way out of this? So this doesn't happen again, but there's no discussion like that. No. There's not even a thought. It's just like post 9-11, like we're going to, we're going to, who can get the most scalps? Yeah. Let's go get us some scalps and the person with the most scalps win. They're our new right. hero. They're our new Kyle, what's his name? The American Sniper, which uh, I, I bring him up. It was a great book and I enjoyed the movie and I, it's no shot to Kyle. He served his country and he wasn't a Jesus follower. So, but Seriously, it's just like the Israelis are finding their next crusade. Crusade, yeah. Who's going to lead the crusade? But it, but what is that going to... Nothing. What does it achieve? Nothing. It's not going to achieve anything, but where is... The, where is... Where is the group of people who can stand up to the Dennis Pragers and the... Ben Shapiro's of the world and say, fuck you, I'm not an anti-Semite. I am a peace lover. And if you find that, if you find being peace loving abhorrent, that's your problem. But do not call me an anti-Semite. Yeah, there's a huge push out there that thinks And then to the Palestinian side of you don't get to do whatever you want to do because you're oppressed. And if you think that I'm anti-Palestinian, fuck you too. Yeah. But no one has the stones of, again, we're doing it on this podcast, but no one of like national, international, where's the Desmond Tutu or, you know, whatever of the world or a pope with stature to stand up and say, folks, this is not acceptable. We need to use this moment to come up with some sort of equilibrium that is not the equilibrium of today which is only beginning violence begets violence. Right. Well, and I think there's... <sighs> I think that it's tough with our world right now. I, I completely agree with Tim where it's like, there's this idea out there that I... I'm upset that people are pulling their sponsorships from colleges. And I mean, like they're Jewish, you know, and so th there's stuff going on there. Let's get in that for a second. Cause I think it's a good thing to bring out. So there was like 56 groups at Harvard that signed a blind letter supporting the Palestinians. It was an absolutely stupid letter. 
it was morally obtuse. And the head of a hedge fund or a, yeah, I think it was head of a hedge fund, some financial institution, very prominent uh, institution, some place that graduates from Harvard are wanting to get a placement at, came out and said, anybody who went to those 56 groups are, don't have a, are, are dead to me and won't ever get a job at this company. And then he quickly had a lot of his peers at other financial institutions say the same thing. Here's my thing. I get taking, I get taking a stand and saying, if you're going to sign a document that makes it sound like what the Palestinian, what Hamas did was understandable because of Palestinian uh, oppression, you can say, yeah, you're not, there's no place for you to work here. Yeah. But these are organizations with hundreds, if not, I don't know. I don't, I don't even know how many people go to Harvard, but let's say there's hundreds, if dozens, if not hundreds of people go are members of these clubs that's, their president deigned to sign on. Don't hold everyone responsible who's a member. And I apparently there has been a financial institution where someone like contacted and said, hey, I'm a member of one of those clubs. I don't agree with what, what the letter was signed in my name signed. And the the on Twitter, the, the president of that hedge fund came out and said, yeah, 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 we actually need to have a little nuance here and be a little more responsible. But... So, yeah, to your point of we're now getting to, hey, if you take this stand, then you're never going to work. You're never going to work here. Right. How is that getting that person ever to? It's a 20, it's an early 20 year old. I'm sorry, but, you know. If if you're gonna if you're the fifty six year old running the hedge fund, I would prefer you to say they're twenty three years old, they've gone through college, right? They've probably spent their entire they're they're either super poor and somehow got a scholarship to go to Harvard, or they're probably upper low mid, upper middle class to upper class, and they've spent their life in a pampered existence they don't know shit from shinola as people used to say they don't know anything i'm going to bring that person in and their worldview is going to change under my tutelage yeah rather than like you're never going to work here because at 23 you said something really stupid that sided with the palestinians yes which goes back to your anti-semitism thing one can sign a document that is woefully ignorant and naive that sides with the palestinians and it doesn't mean you hate jews yeah 100 it means you've sided with the rebels literally you you view the world as star wars and you've sided with the rebels and you're like yeah the palestinians from what i've been told by my professors at harvard or stanford or wherever or cal state fullerton have told me that the palestinians are oppressed and so my worldview, which goes back to David and Goliath, but, you know, is Star Wars is, yeah, they must be the good guys. Right. You're wrong. It's much more complicated than that. 
for sure. But also, I believe that there's a lot more gray area than just sitting there and siding with either side. You know what I'm saying? Like, sure. But so hire this person and then sit down with them and say, hey, you know, we've hired you. But I saw this thing on Twitter where you sided with the Palestinians. You explain to me what your wor- worldview is. Right. Well, well, here's a book. Here's a really good book. And I, damn it. I meant to have the name of this book. There's a very, there is actually literally a really good book that lays out very concretely most of the stuff that I got from my that I laid out to start this podcast lays out the good and the bad of both sides. Read this book, come back to me. And if you still want to just wholesale side with the Palestinians, or if you're Jewish with your Jewish brethren in Israel, okay, you can still work here, but just know I just, I disagree with you. And if you're moral, if, if you young 25 year old now who's read that book still think i'm morally repugnant because i think the state of israel should exist then you can go work somewhere else otherwise we can learn to coexist yeah and agree to disagree which is ultimately what this whole thing is about is agreeing to disagree but everyone's supposed to pick a side and if you don't pick the side enough then you're anti-palestinian or you're anti-jew ridiculous and that's let me let me say something real quick yeah keep going i i do think that i do think that if i'm if someone asked me what my view of you pull the average Jewish person. If you, if I had to pull the average Israeli and the average Palestinian, I think the average Israeli is much more open to peace and living side by side than I do the average Palestinian. Sure. That said, I am getting a little sick and tired of using of people using the Holocaust to recycle the anti-Semitism accusation because someone doesn't agree with what your view of what Israel and Jews should do. It's getting a little worn. Right, just because... And it's kind of dirty argument. Just because you went and you had a super atrocious act done to your... your... your group, um, or your, your religious group, your... Um, ethnic identification yeah, ethnic even. identification doesn't give you the excuse to to do what it is that you do and again this is where we can relate back to the United States so just because <laughs> criticize my view based criticize what I am saying in my view if I say I don't think it's good for Israel to go in to Gaza you and I are saying Probably not. We don't see that there's much efficacy in Israel going into Gaza and claiming it's going to wipe out Hamas. It's probably not. It's going to more violence. It's going to be violence. Don't call me an anti-Semite. Say, I disagree with you. I think they can go in, blah, blah, blah. And then we can just disagree. It's just like, okay, we'll see 10 years from now whether or not you were right or I was right. I was right. That's fine. That's how the world should work. But don't call me a fucking anti-Semite. Yes. Yeah. And a Holocaust denier, which seems, you know, again, (laughs) 
And if you're finding this troubling because you tend to be more right wing in your politics, folks, we got to call out. I'm right wing in my politics. I'm much more about calling my side than I'm the other side. The other side is can, is plenty stupid and crazy enough. That they're manifest in their craziness. What I am sick and tired of is baseless, silly, paint by numbers logic that has resulted on the right both religiously and politically of, oh, you disagree with well, me, you must be a fascist or you must be a, you must be a anti-Semite or you're a Russia lover or you're a Palestine lover. No, disagree with me on the merits. Right. Two hours and 23 minutes, are we done? Have we beat that horse? Is there anything else to say? I think there's more to say, but I don't think that it's worth saying at this point. <laughs> I was like, we'll let it sit for a week and then see what happens. All right. Well, we thank you for listening to this episode of Go to Hell Podcast. Please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to the Go to Hell Podcast so other people can find out how they can go to hell. And you know what? This week, I am not going to give one of our usual quips and tell someone to go to hell. What I'm going to say is... Fellow listeners, live your life this way. Pray this. Pray what was announced when Jesus was born. Peace on earth. Goodwill to towards all men and women.